1: Shalom, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Forecast Fest. As you can probably tell, I am not Kate Boubon. I am, of course, Harry Anton. Kate is not able to join us today, but we do have my colleague, John Avlon, with us by phone.
2: Hola, senor.
1: Shalom, my dear friend. Well, folks, we are less than a week away until the Iowa caucuses and a slew of new polls in early states and nationally are showing different leaders. We will discuss why it's difficult to predict who will win in Iowa, which candidates have an advantage in caucuses, and the difference between primary and caucus turnout models. But first, let's get the forecast leading up to the first votes of the 2020 cycle in Iowa. These are my new odds based upon the new polling that's come out over the past week. Bernie Sanders is the favorite in Iowa. He has about a 7.5 out of 20 chance of winning the Iowa caucuses. And second is Joe Biden. He has about a 5 in 20 chance of winning the Iowa caucuses. Pete Buttigieg has a 3.5 chance out of 20 winning the Iowa caucuses. Elizabeth Warren, a 3 out of 20 chance. And Amy Klobuchar has about a 1 in 25 chance, so not really high. Uh, John, if we're talking about the changes from a week ago when we first did this, I think the key thing here is that Bernie Sanders is up, Joe Biden's down a little bit, so are Buttigieg and Warren and Klobuchar, who never had much of a shot to begin with, is also a little bit down. What do you think about that?
2: Well, look, I mean, you've been warning a long time that this is a particularly chaotic Iowa caucus in the context of Iowa caucuses being chaotic and that for the last few weeks, we've been seeing momentum towards Bernie Sanders. Here's what I still don't understand, and and Bernie did well last time around, we should say, and is particularly well positioned in the first three states. I don't understand, given the peculiarity of the caucuses, i.e., you know, this is not a straight vote, as I think most folks who are political nerds enough to listen to this podcast know, um, how Bernie, who seems to have negative appeal to many of the other candidates in the race, is in a position to win, given the fact that it seems more than likely that many precincts The supporters of the other candidates will back someone not named Bernie Sanders.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's a key thing, as you were sort of hinting at in Iowa. What you'll have this time is you'll have an initial first preference vote. Uh, If you do not meet a 15 percent viability threshold in an individual caucus, that means that the people who are supporting the candidates who don't meet that can either team up together to support, say, if they're Amy Klobuchar's people, they can perhaps invite Andrew Yang's people over to support them. Or they can then go support one of the people who did meet the viability threshold. The polls at this particular point are really only about asking the first preference, and that is of which we have sort of going back over time. What I will say is that even on the second or the second choice are the actively considering when the pollsters have limited the field down to, say, only four candidates – Bernie Sanders position in the polls tends to hold for the most part. That includes, in fact, the New York Times Siena College poll that came out last weekend, of which the top line was that Bernie Sanders was ahead with 25 percent. Pete Buttigieg at 18 percent. Joe Biden at 17. Warren at 15. Amy Klobuchar at eight. Even when you limited that down to the top four, you still saw Sanders up. So it seems to be the case that even though you might not think that Bernie Sanders would have the appeal to the other candidate supporters, he's still doing well enough to, in my mind, be the favorite, although be an under 50% favorite, not even a 40% favorite at this point.
2: Well under 50. Yeah. So, so let me press you on that. Who, who are the, and it could be that, you know, as we've seen sometimes with Sanders supporters, that ideology doesn't matter. It's about personality. It's about authenticity. It's about sticking it to the man, whatever. Uh, But who, who are the candidates that are more likely to have Bernie as a second choice as opposed to Biden, say, were Buttigieg?
1: Yeah, I think this is the key point, I, I, Elizabeth Warren. That, you know, we have said all along, you know, you were sort of hinting at, oh, it's not necessarily about ideology. We've seen a number of polls that actually suggest, at least nationally, that a number of Bernie Sanders supporters' second choice would be Joe Biden, not Elizabeth Warren, which might not make a lot of sense. But in the closing days, as we've closed it on Iowa, we are seeing that ideology is playing a bigger role in people's support. That is Elizabeth Warren supporters' overwhelming second choice is Bernie Sanders. And so I think the key question, you know, if you look back at that Siena poll that I just mentioned, Elizabeth Warren at 15 percent, the viability threshold in a lot of individual caucus sites is
2: 15.
1: Exactly. It's 15 percent. That means she is not going to meet the viability threshold in a number of different caucus sites. In some sites, she'll do much better than that. But in a number of them, she won't reach it. And in those sites, Bernie Sanders could, in fact, be the major beneficiary.
2: And, and you know, it, it, beneath Elizabeth Warren in most polls is uh, Amy Klobuchar. And uh, there was some reporting that the Biden camp was reaching out to Klobuchar's camp to try to see if they could make some kind of Iowa caucus deal. She expressed no interest in that, but it certainly would make sense on paper uh, that, that Klobuchar's supporters... Uh, would support Biden or Buttigieg, not Warren or uh, Sanders, for example.
1: That's exactly right. Indeed, if you look at the polls, the Klobuchar supporter second choice is tends to be Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg not too far behind. And that, I think, is sort of getting at part of the reason why Bernie Sanders right now is the favorite in Iowa is that that left lane, that very liberal lane, has sort of thinned out. Bernie Sanders has taken over for Elizabeth Warren in that lane and started to cannibalize that vote. But in that moderate to center lane, you know, we mentioned that New York Times, Sienna, Paul, Judge 18, Biden, 17. You could look at a Mammoth University poll, which even uh, which just came out literally just before this podcast. And what we saw was that Joe Biden was at 23 Pete Buttigieg was at 16, which is a better position for Biden. He would rather Buttigieg sort of go down. Mm-hmm. But the more that that sort of center lane has multiple candidates in it who could potentially be viable, the worse news it is for Joe Biden. And then there could be the big question of do these candidates who aren't Joe Biden, who are in that moderate center lane, do they meet the viability threshold? And if they don't, it, we could end up in a situation in which. Joe Biden may lose on the first initial vote. But then when there is that reallocation and the viability thresholds aren't met, he could, in fact, win on the second vote once the people reallocate themselves.
2: Now, let's pull back for a second, because I think folks hearing Bernie Sanders is ahead in the Iowa primary probably confuses them if they're only thinking about Iowa's character as an overall state. Right. Traditionally, a swing state, Midwest, Um, western part of the state, more conservative, Uh, eastern part of the state, more Democratic, but not necessarily liberal. Um, But because of polarization, uh, we see Iowa potentially nominating a candidate who, uh, in the Democratic primary, as in the Republican primary in the past, might not be a good fit for the state in the general election. What kind of Caution. I mean, there are 30 counties in Iowa that voted twice for Obama, Biden, and once for Donald Trump. These pivot counties that you know I'm obsessed with. And we know. Um, I mean, so I ask the question simply to say, uh, if Bernie Sanders wins the first three, and let's say he becomes the nominee, do you think he's better positioned to win Iowa in the general election than Joe Biden?
1: Uh, The answer that I would give is that if you look at the New York Times-Siena College poll, you do, in fact, see that Joe Biden does a few points better in the Iowa caucuses than Bernie Sanders does. Uh, And I think this sort of gets at the difference between a caucus electorate and a primary electorate. And, you know, that, that that I think is such a key facet as we go into Monday. Uh, that keep in mind, these are caucuses. They aren't primaries. And we have good reasons to believe that caucuses in particular tend to lend themselves to more lefty candidates. For instance, if you were to look over the last two cycles on the Democratic side, there were a bunch of states that held both caucuses and primary states like Washington and Nebraska, for instance. And if you were to look at those and look at the caucus results in them versus the primary results, what you see is that In the caucuses, both in 2008 and in 2016, the candidate who appealed to the younger generation most, whether that be Bernie Sanders in 2016 or Barack Obama in 2008, the candidate who appealed to the younger portion of the electorate, they did significantly better, 30 plus points better on average in the caucuses than they did in the primaries in those states. So a caucus lends itself to someone like a Bernie Sanders who has great appeal to the youth vote.
2: Does youth turn out at a higher rate in general in a caucus than they do in, say, a general election as a percentage of the overall turnout?
1: They certainly turn out as a higher percentage compared to a primary. And I think that's the key sort of facet that's going on here. Why? Why is that? Well, I think it has to do with a number of different things, not the least of which is caucusing is a pain in the butt. Have any of you ever caucused before? My goodness gracious. So essentially you've got to turn up like 7 p.m. local time. In Iowa, let's say, you got to go to your caucus site. Then you got to listen to a whole bunch of people give some speeches. I don't know about you, but I have very little interest in hearing any of my neighbors give some speeches. After hearing the neighbors give some speeches, you don't actually get a private ballot. You got to go to your own little corner and all your neighbors know your personal preferences. The truth of the matter is the less I know my neighbors, the better for me. Then after doing going to that corner, then if you don't meet viability, you got to go to another corner, so on, and so forth. If you're someone 65 and older, you don't want to be freaking doing this. You want to be at home, maybe watching Wheel of Fortune or Jeopardy. So the fact is, is that younger people have, uh, you know, it's easier for them to get out there. They probably have a little bit more time to do this. And they're a little bit more free wielding, I think, in terms of their willingness to state their preferences out in public.
2: All right. Once again, reminding us that you are from an island off the coast of America. Um, let me ask you another question. Um, you know, we're always obsessive with rules. If you really care about politics, you know, you care about the rules because you change the rules, you change the game. Uh, the caucuses, there have been talked about some innovations this year, but the order of the states are the same. Uh, Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, two caucuses out of three, then South Carolina. Um, do you think that, that, uh, if Bernie wins Iowa, that he will be odds on to win the first three? And if so, how do the rules change that the DNC, uh, make it more likely that Bernie could be the nominee despite not being particularly representative of the party?
1: So what we know is that at least in terms of bounces coming out of Iowa, I looked at this and essentially compared the national polls pre-Iowa versus post-Iowa. You could do the same in New Hampshire as a similar result. And what are the two things that are the most predictive of the bounce coming out of Iowa? One is whether or not you win the darn thing. If you win the darn thing, you tend to on median get a 7% bounce, 7 percentage point bounce in the national polls. The other key thing is expectations. The expectations game is so key. So right now, if you're listening to the tone of our discussion, we clearly think that Bernie Sanders is going to win, even though the odds, based upon past accuracy success, even if he's a favorite, he's still less than a 40% chance of winning. The expectations are key. So if Bernie Sanders does win and he outperforms his polls, he'll get an even bigger bounce than if he wins but doesn't outperform his polls. And if he does that, I do expect that he'll jump into the national lead against Joe Biden. He's well positioned in New Hampshire where he leads in all of the polls. And in Nevada, we haven't had a poll in a while, but he was fairly close to Joe Biden there. And he probably would take the lead there. If you win the first three, there's just no history of anyone winning the first three and then losing the nomination fight but perhaps this is a different year after all. But with the pledge delegates being the determinant factor, the fact that all these candidates get any money, I think the two things that happen if Sanders wins the first three, number one, his chance of winning goes up. And then two, there's a better chance that Bloomberg stays in the race and it may raise the chance of a contested convention going forward. where No one has a majority of pledge delegates going into it.
2: Man, this is just fascinating stuff. Are there any... Um sort of minor indicators you're going to be particularly keeping an eye out for. In 2012, you know, I I remember, to my frustration, everybody going with the Romney one, despite it being too close to call. He got a big money and attention boost, as you were just describing. I, as a column reporter, columnist at the time, called around to a bunch of precincts and figured out that actually Santorum was going to win the thing. But he got basically ignored. He got a really, got a bounce, but it was a small one, despite the fact that, he was ultimately declared the winner. What, what are the kind of the, the districts you're going to look at, the little peculiarities you're going to keep an eye out for uh, come caucus day?
1: I think the two things I'm interested in on caucus, uh, three things, actually, I'm interested in when the caucuses occur is, number one, there's been all this push in the first congressional district uh, where, where the local congressman has endorsed uh, Joe Biden, which used to be Democratic land but became increasingly Republican. Who wins there? Who is winning back those white working class voters? Two, I'm interested the college towns, um, seeing if Joe Biden gets anywhere near a viability threshold. And three, I'm interested in Western Iowa, the rural areas, whether or not Joe Biden's effort to win over rural voters and pick up some, quote unquote, cheap delegates. Does that work out for him?
2: It's going to be fascinating to see Western delegates around Sioux City. Their congressman is?
1: Their congressman is Steve King. Well, John, I, I, I just want to thank you for joining me uh, for this lovely podcast by phone. You are a lovely, lovely man. And I think we're <laughs> going to wrap it up and we're going to see what happens in the uh, Iowa caucuses.
2: You are. But look, the, the, the elections are here, my man. And we're going to be dealing, you know, really sifting through the data. You know, that, that's this is your time to shine, man. It's game day.
1: Well, you're right on that, John. This is our time to shine and it's our listeners time to shine as well. We want to thank you so much for listening. And you can always find us on Twitter. I'm at Forecaster Enton, also on your Instagram dial, despite the fact I don't use Instagram. John, where are you on Twitter?
2: (laughs) I'm at John Avalon, no second A, on Twitter and Instagram. So come join the party.
1: Fantastic. And please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. While you're there, why don't you leave us a rating or a comment? And a special thanks to Amy Eason, Raj Mekija, Zach St. Louis, I love that name, and David Toledo. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Forecast Fest. Until then, shalom and be well.
0: When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level.